Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I believe there's no perfect leaders, but all leaders have to be perfectly honest with themselves and everybody else. Because if anybody smells that their boss, their leader, their business owner, the founder, whatever, is dishonest either with themselves, you know, so something happens in the business and they don't take ownership of it. That's a scary thing for an employee to see. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. Our guest today is John Timmerman. John is the founder and CEO of Good Monster. This is a digital marketing agency that helps growth-focused businesses improve their marketing strategies. John is an inspiring entrepreneur that believes honesty is the best policy in leadership. Not only did he manage to recover after his company lost two significant clients pre-pandemic, but he is also able to successfully change his business model to a remote model and then thrive with the change. In this episode, we talk about how to choose the best business model for your company, why you need to have systems and processes, especially if you run a remote business, the importance of adapting to change as an entrepreneur, and last but not least, why all good leaders need to be honest with themselves and be ready to take responsibility. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Let's start the show. Hey, John, thanks so much for being on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you, Tyler? I'm doing good. It's great to have you here. You know, I'd love to start out with, can you share a little bit about yourself and, and what you do? Sure. So live in upstate New York, Syracuse, New York, most of my life, a few stints in Richmond, Virginia, and Boston. Background is actually in kinesiology and fitness. So I trained athletes for a while. One thing led to another, and I fell in love with the business side of that business. And that kind of springboarded me over into the business and, and marketing world helping other companies. So right now I run a parent company that has a marketing agency, a motion graphics, AI and AR firm, a consulting company, and an events company underneath that. Very cool. So before I get into more in more detail what you do, I'd love to talk about, because we've had a little side conversations, you've just got a wealth of knowledge and have had some experiences that you've had to grow through in terms of uh, changing the model of your business, the dynamics of your business. The first one I'd love to talk about is 
pre-pandemic, which you were ahead of the curve on this, you changed your, your model to a remote structure. Can we talk about that a little bit? I mean, what brought that on and how did you tackle it? Yeah. So the, the typical agency life cycle is you get some small clients if you don't have access to big ones. And then those small clients lead to bigger clients and bigger clients. And your goal is always to get bigger clients, right? Bigger paydays. And then once that happens, the natural marketing agency, ad agency attrition occurs and you start to lose some clients, uh, maybe some small ones, maybe some large ones. But if the stars align, you could lose all the big ones all at the same time or a lot of the big ones. And that's when you see agency layoffs happen. You see it happen with the biggest agency media holding companies like WPP. And you see it with small agencies like ours at the time. So we went through that natural client attrition without a good sales and our own marketing pipeline development. Meaning we didn't have enough incoming to offset two clients leaving at the same time. Two of our biggest clients. One was purchased by another company and they decided to consolidate under a much larger ad agency. And the other one made a bad business investment, which sucked up a huge amount of capital. And they just ended up letting the CEO go and cutting all of their expenses and basically restructuring. So even though both of those accounts were doing well, there's nothing we could do about it. So I had to lay off the people who were on that account, full-time people. So in doing that, I was crushed. You know, they were like family to me and and we thought we were headed for, you know, crazy growth, which we had just experienced. Instead, we lost our two biggest clients and I had to lay people off. So I went back to the drawing board and figured out how do I prevent this from happening? Not necessarily clients leaving, because that's a natural progression, right, but how do right. I make it easier on everybody? And I just went back to a real traditional ad agency model and hiring contractors. And I got opened up to this crazy world of freelancer economy, upwork.com and freelancer.com and and these, you know, sites where people offered their services, contract services. And I found some amazing contractors all over the world in India, in, in Canada, in Brazil, in Europe, here in the United States. I mean, people literally from everywhere. And I just built the business that way. I was very clear with our clients. Um, a lot of agencies try to hide. The fact that they use contractors, they want to seem bigger than they are. Mm-hmm. So they say we have 50 people or we have whatever employees, when in reality, some of them are freelancers or contractors. So I was very clear. And I said, our model is quite simple. We're really good at strategy and figuring out what you need. And then we pull in the best people to do that thing. And I grew the business that way very efficiently. And so if we did lose a client, which we thankfully haven't really lost any large clients since then, but if we did lose a client, and it required less work, we would either just stop working with that contractor or reduce their hours or move them to another project or say, like, we don't have anything for you yet. We'll reach back out when we do. They're expecting it because they're a contractor. And it doesn't hurt us as much because it's as simple as just saying, we don't have any work for you. We don't have to lay anybody off, you know, that kind of thing. And since then, we have grown to where we are starting to hire back on employees. We have 30 contractors slash employees, depending on where they are around the world and a, a solid growing book of business. Is that hard uh, from a cultural standpoint? Like what have you had to adjust? Now you've got this remote remote team, Brazil, all these different countries, some probably uh, within your office. How do you manage that? Like how do you keep a good culture? Keep Do you use some type of uh, project management system, I would think, as part of it? But how do you keep the communication side? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned it. It's systems are 
huge. You know, without systems, things can get lost over video chat and the internet and emails and things like that. So just internal systems, definitely a project management software. We just switched from Redbooth to Asana. Uh, Asana's great, integrates with pretty much everything. It's probably one of the more popular ones used. And then from a communication standpoint, man, it's really important to make sure your leaders know exactly what they should and shouldn't be doing, communicating, working on. And that all starts with me, right? Or some of your audience are business owners. I mean, I can't stress if you're in a remote environment, how spending a lot of time being absolutely crystal clear on expectations and constructive criticism to your leaders or department managers or whoever, so that they then can communicate that message on. Because the bigger you grow remotely, the less time you're going to spend actually, you know, having any touch points with with you know an entry level person or somebody you just hired. I mean, as you get bigger, that's the case with every company. But when you're in an office, it's a lot easier. You might see a the three people you just hired and welcome them into the office and say, Hey, how you doing? And what's going on? And you can see them coming in every day. It's, there is that different dynamic. So with a remote business or remote culture, you need to make sure your leaders are mirrors of you and that they're communicating the same way, the same empathy and kindness and welcoming, and, but, but still demanding on them the way that you would, or else it could fall apart quickly. And we've, we've had some of those issues happen and we've had to go in and figure out how to fix it. Yeah, that's that's one of the biggest challenges I think with that change to remote is when you're in office, people walk by your door or whatever, and you end up inadvertently talking and having many meetings, you know, many times a day, if not, you know, numerous times a week. And when you're in the remote, it just doesn't happen as much. So that connection, you have to be more, I guess, intentional about the connection or through your team, like you're doing very clear. There's a lot less room, I guess for error, I guess I would say, in terms of that clarity of communication. Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think what one thing I will say though is that that fear often trumps a lot of business owner decision makers, you know, ability to dive into the remote culture and really embrace it because that's the most apparent thing. If you, you know, I'm in an office, I need to see people, I need to see that they're there. They need to know that I'm there and I'm we're all working. But with the right systems, Number one, you don't have to do that. I mean, we use a software program called Hubstaff where they everyone tracks their time on different projects and it's automatic. It's like a clock that runs on your desktop or your phone, wherever you're working, and it takes screenshots. So it shows your productivity and it, it gives you a productivity score based on what you're doing and what you're working on. And if somebody's slacking off, which I think a lot of business owners are worried, like if they're remote, they're going to be like watching movies and, and all that kind of stuff. So, so this actually keeps people accountable just like if you did see them come in and sit at their desk. But the benefit that I think gets clouded a lot is that you now are focusing on getting the stuff done, right? You're not focused on, is this person showing up to work, right? There's that old saying, like, you just got to show up, right? right? Or showing up is 90% of it or whatever that thing is. (laughs) Well, people can fake it if they walk into an office and they could be playing video games or like doing busy work and like not being productive. And you wouldn't know it maybe until their review, annual review or quarterly review. Well, when you're working remotely and you have systems, you can measure every day how they're doing, how much time are they putting in, what's their work output. And those are the things that we're now scoring on, which is making our agency incredibly efficient. That's cool. In fact, on that note of um, systems and processes, you had made a comment when we were talking outside of this podcast that you actually had to break your company and then rebuild it. Can you kind of talk through that in terms of processes? Yeah. 
when I built the agency, I didn't have agency experience myself. I only had very entry-level brand side. And when I say brand side, any marketers or agency people here, I'm not talking brands like big Fortune 500 brands. I'm talking like you know, little local brands. So I, I did not know what I was doing. So I just basically copied whatever every other agency was doing. I copied their model. I just copied the way they built everything. Right. I didn't know what else to do. So I just tried to mirror what other agencies were doing. And I actually started reading how the old agency model was broken. And I'm like, what does this mean? And so I started reading how you know inflated retainers and getting commissions paid on the back end of media, you know, through traditional media didn't really translate over to digital, right? Because like normally an agency would go to a TV station or network or and, and say, you know, hey, we're gonna spend five hundred thousand dollars with you over the course of a year. That's we're gonna bill our client that five hundred thousand dollars, but then you're gonna give us a discount and a commission on that, you know, that the client doesn't really see. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this carried over to digital where agencies were charging this big retainer amount and then they were hiring people. So the, the whole system was a bit outdated. And so I just started from scratch and just thought, what seems right? Like not knowing how did this works, like what seems fair? What seems like a good business model for us to make money and profit, but also delivering value to the client? So little things like we don't charge for software. It gets directly charged to them for the most part, unless it's like an agency-wide software that we use. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place. Like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. So if it's client software, like a specific Shopify program or something, it gets billed to them. We don't collect ad spend dollars. So a lot of agencies will say, okay, it's going to be $100,000 a month. Part of that is the media spend and part of that is our agency fee. But instead, we just say, here's the work that we're doing. We recommend a budget of $50,000 a month or whatever. We collect a small percentage on that to manage it, but the others is, is a flat fee and you're just paying us for the work that we're doing. You know, So that was a shift that we made. And, and the ad spend is billed directly to the client. So if we spend $500,000 on ads... They pay for it. We don't collect it and then, you know, inflate it or do anything like that. So those are just some examples. But I just basically went back to the drawing board and I said, if I was good, if I was gonna hire us to do this, what would I find valuable and what would I find fair? And then I looked on my end and I said, Does this make us a profitable, efficient company? And once I found, you know, a yes to both of those, we implemented it. If you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens, and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high-performing team members, and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no-pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the meeting button. 
Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com. Think life, think success, think business. What would I find valuable and what would I find fair? And then I looked on my end and I said, does this make us a profitable, efficient company? And once I found you know, a yes to both of those, we implemented it. You seem to be a real student when it comes to like business and strategy. I watched some of your YouTube videos and you do just, I've told you this before, you do a great job on them. Like I was watching one the other day, you did one on Traeger and you kind of researched it and did a little bit of feedback in terms of how they molded their brand to be perceived differently. Do you enjoy like learning and applying things within your own business or is that, have you always been that way? I'm just curious because your YouTube videos are really good. Yeah, thank you for that. Always. I'm always changing. In fact, I'm always changing my mind. It drives my team and my <laughs> wife nuts. It's a constant evolution. But I, I mean, I understand why it drives people crazy. But at the same time, I'm not changing it because it's like, oh, what if this this is cool? Let's try this. It's all, you know, data-driven, calculated. It's hey, this worked. Here's how we can apply it. Let's try it because I think it's going to be good for our business. So I I'm always identifying opportunities to fix what's broken while not reinventing the wheel. So the the problem is I just find a lot of things that are broken and I do enjoy trying to solve those problems. I do enjoy trying to break something apart and, and make it better from a strategy standpoint, for sure. So I chuckle when you say your wife and your staff gets a little worried about that. Yeah. How do you deal with that with your staff? Like, do you have to moderate the changes in terms of slow them down? Because, you know, people generally get a little uncomfortable when you change things. So how do you do that? So you kind of keep their their level of interest and they're not, oh no, here comes John. He's going to have some new ideas. Yeah. I mean, it's something we struggle with every day because, you know, it's the, it's the nature of, being a business owner when you have a team of people, right? They all look to you as like the final decision. So if I say an idea, but I don't say don't do it, then somebody might go and do that thing. Right. So I have to be very careful and not just say, well, we could do this and we can do that. And I'm I'm pretty bad at that because I often pull examples out of my head as I'm explaining something as a way to like be clear so that they can see like an example of what I'm talking about. And so I've had to Number one, rely on my executive team to help filter me <laughs> to you know the entire agency, and I'm also noticing too that some of my some of my executive team follows suit to what I do, and and in client calls we can get a bit scattered and brainstorming and crazy ideas and things that would work, and so I've had to I've had to learn to identify that in some of my team and my executive team to make sure that that's not trickling down through because again it, it all comes from me. So it's just a matter of picking and choosing what we're actually going to do and what actually comes out of my mouth in a public setting, because I don't want that confusion and the potential freakouts that happen because we're talking about something that completely goes against what we've just been working on for a month or something like that, you know? Right. But it's a, it's a challenge. Your voice is, as the business owner definitely has a lot of weight and people are probably trying to please you or do what your vision is. Mm-hmm. So it's like, even if you say it a little bit, it's probably heard like 10x of how you meant it. Yes. So you're probably you're always struggling with that part of it. Hey, so let's talk about your business in a little more uh, detail. You have essentially like three business units. Is that correct? Yeah, three. And then a, a fourth will be a small business agency focused on smaller businesses, whereas the other ones will focus a little bit more on 
larger businesses. Okay. Let's focus around the the smaller business one. You know, typical audience for me is probably under that 10 million a year in revenue. What mm-hmm. would that qualify as what you would consider that small business category? Yeah. So I, I consider there's like three business categories, right? There's you got your Fortune 500 companies, mm-hmm. the biggest brands, right? We don't really work with them too much, uh, maybe on a project here or there, but they're not our core clients. And then we have what I would consider a large business. They're not a Fortune 500 or, or you know, in the Fortune maybe 1,000. I don't know, but you know, they're generally, let's call them a 50 plus million dollar company, right? So whether you want to categorize that as medium if you're talking stock market or you want to categorize that as large. That's our sort of core client for the larger agency. And we focus on two things. Number one, marketplace development. So Amazon, Walmart Plus, eBay, and then in other other countries, there's Mercado Livre. And there are these marketplaces where you can utilize their market to sell your stuff. So that's one focus of our business. And then the other one is uh, e-commerce customer experience. So a lot of times that is optimizing your website for shopping experience, Utilizing retargeting to make sure customers are coming back, email marketing, ambassador and affiliate programs, as well as kind of developing that that funnel into your website. Those are the two main focuses for the larger agency. For the smaller agency, it's a bit more structured. It's sort of like signing up for software. So we're really good at our programs and systems, as I mentioned. So if there's a lawyer or a restaurant or a small accountant office, I don't know, any, any sort of business that says, I just want more people to know about me. Then they come to us and they say, okay, here's the budget I have, or I want to see how much it costs for doing this. We say, okay, SEO, some paid media, making sure you have a good performing website. And those are probably your first three places to start. And then once you have that, that comes pretty much standard out of the box. It's the same thing no matter what business we work with, SEO. Uh, pay-per-click is pretty much the same thing for every business. You know, there are keywords that change and all that kind of stuff, but the structure and system is the same. Creating a good website, same thing. Pretty much the same. You just change the copy and the pictures and things like that. Got it. Hey, John. So I'd like to pivot just to uh, last couple questions here before we wrap up. Is there a book that you recommend? I'd love to know. You have a lot of knowledge. You do a lot of research on things. Anything stand out that you really like? Yeah, um, probably the, I have two books, um, if you don't mind, two that have really shaped me. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not a big reader at all, especially as I get busier. I'm, I'm not not a good reader, but I read both these books multiple times. One is Made to Stick, and the book is it's about marketing research or brand research a bit, but it's really about how to get an idea to stick. In fact, they talk about like teachers for school age kids and how do they get ideas to stick in those school age kids' minds. So, Made to Stick is amazing. The other one is The Power of Habit. Both of those are relatively popular books, but it's very similar to Made to Stick. But instead of getting an idea to stick, how do you get a habit to stick? And it's crazy. I think those two things, if all humans had those two abilities, we would all be very powerful people. <laughs> I like those. I know both yes. of those books. Those are good good choices. Yeah. Hey, so wrapping up here, do you happen to have a, an actual tip, whether it be a business tip or a life tip that you can share with us uh, that we can apply and, and maybe make our lives better? Yeah. Again, I have two, if you don't mind. These are top of mind. We talked about leaders earlier and how you know shaping your leaders to help you will be one of the best things you do. Both of these have to do with leadership. Okay. The first one is that I believe there's no perfect leaders, but all leaders have to be perfectly honest with themselves and everybody else. Because if 
anybody smells that their boss, their leader, their business owner, the founder, whatever, is dishonest in you know either with themselves, you know, so something happens in the business and they don't take ownership of it. That's a scary thing for an employee to see, right? If they place the blame on the team, this is all everybody else's fault, right? You're the owner. You own every decision that happens underneath that umbrella, right? And also honest for clients and customers, things like that. We see this every day when something goes wrong, there's a PR disaster. If that company or that spokesperson or whoever it is doesn't come out and own it, then they have to deal with the narrative. They have to deal with either constantly trying to keep that narrative going, even though it might not be the accurate one. So that's a ton of effort and a ton of hard work that could actually end in people finding out that it wasn't quite that way. Or they sniff it out right away. They sniff out bullshit right away. So the best way to be a leader is just say, even if it wasn't your fault, you know what? We effed up, right? Like this wasn't a good thing. We're going to fix it. You have my word starting yesterday, we're going to fix it. So that's one thing that I like is that there's no perfect leaders, but you need to be perfectly honest at all times. And the other one is that the best leaders take all the responsibility when things are going bad and they give it all when things are going good. Uh, I'm, I'm a true believer in that. And if you can constantly eat a slice of humble pie and take on all of the bullets and fire from everywhere as the CEO or as the founder... And then give it to your team when things are going good. You have a rock solid army of loyal people that are willing to go, you know, to battle for you every day when things are going bad, and they trust you, and 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 you go in as a team. So, those two things are really, really strong and, and solid in my mind. Yeah, those are both powerful honesty, and then I think the being accountable as a leader, and then to your point, like making sure. Your team knows when things are going great that they're they're the reason for it. Mm-hmm. Those are some awesome tips. Hey, I'll put this in the show notes, of course, at thinktyler.com. Your website is thegoodmonster.com. Thegoodmonster.com. I love that website domain. If anyone else wanted, if anybody wanted to reach out to you other than that, where would you want them to go? Honestly, the best place is to comment on one of my LinkedIn posts. <laughs> I say I say LinkedIn, but then people direct message and I my LinkedIn direct message is full of a hundred a day of salespeople from around the world. So that's not a good place. But comment on one of the the posts uh, because that's where generally where I chat and that's the best place to engage. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a good good tip. Okay. Hey, thanks, John. I really appreciated uh, meeting with you today. You're a great guy, fun to listen to. Thanks again for visiting today. Yeah, great job, Tyler. Thank you so much, man. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electric acid.
Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.